to breakfast What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas It's weird brunch That's alright I had time to do even more research I feel more organized now I'm excited about my story Me too This is going to be a good one I can feel it Lisa's is yours good? If Karina's is good and mine is good, I need yours yeah. to be good. Man, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it is tight. I haven't looked at it since we had to push back the last one. Oh, well, that's not good. I'm just kidding. I trust <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> I abandoned mine from last week. I feel like I hated it so. Maybe I'll tell it another time. I've just been like, like during the freeze and everything, I was very like, okay, everything's fine. And the last few days since everybody has power and water, well, not everybody, but I'm like, I can't function. It's a weird feeling. And (laughs) I assume most people here are in, who are listening are in Texas. But if you're not, and if you didn't look at the news, we all went through a very traumatic experience last week where the whole state froze and we all lost power and water for multiple days. I lived with Lisa for two days. Hell yeah. (laughs) Because my house was like 40 degrees and horrible. So yeah. Thanks again, Lisa. I still need to come get my watch from your house. I keep thinking about it, but... I keep seeing it. It's just and like I'm like I should. <laughs> it makes me feel accountable for my shit, and I don't know if <laughs> I want that right now. <laughs> <laughs> is that a is that a cocktail with like a garnish in it? Oh no, it's a Walmart jar shaped like a pe- uh, pineapple, a pina, a pina. <laughs> Uh, with a, like, you know, like a jar lid on top of it and some little, it looks, mm. so it looks like a pineapple. That's adorable. Thank it's very you. Festive. I like to drink out of it because I don't spill it. It's yeah. like a sippy cup for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's 80 degrees outside now. So fuck it. I'm going to drink yeah. out of my glass piña. That's the thing. I feel like the whole state feels like gaslit right now. Like we're all still dealing with the trauma of what happened last week. But when you look outside, it's like, what? Nothing happened. Why aren't you jogging right now? Yeah, that's normal. Outside is saying right now, except for the plants. The plants are definitely (sighs) still like we got fucked and we're not letting anybody forget it. Every single plant I've seen is dead. Mm -hmm. My we had those big cactuses not the like round teardrop shaped ones but the ones that are kind of a little more jagged and edgy looking that Mm -hmm. still produce a pink fruit uh they're like just completely destroyed like dead squishy rotting carcasses in our front yard now and it's like I want to clean it up because it looks horrible, but it is a giant pile of it. And also this is a rental. (laughs) So (laughs) landlord, send someone over to fix this shit. (sighs) Our neighbors had some prickly pears, the big, big ones mm -hmm. that are like 
you know, the size of your head. And uh, they, at one point, were frozen, encased in ice. And then, like, you could kind of crack it and get a prickly pear leaf-shaped ice shell. It was really Ooh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It was really awesome. I tried to save one in my fridge, but then it just turned into uh, the same thing that happens to my ice cream. Just bad shit. Just all fuzzy and weird. Aw, what a bummer. How's how's your pool, though? I have a pool? It it was a joke because your house flooded. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I got a swimming pool. No, yeah, that's fine. The neighbor fixed their thing, and I bought new floor mats, which I needed to do anyway. And everything's fine. Everything's okay. How's the puppy? She's oh so yeah. Cute. I'd bring her down, but she's sleeping, which is like important. Um but she's gorgeous. It's yeah. Pre- prettiest dog ever. So what kind of dog is she again? A- Irish setter. What's her name? Chestnut. Chestnut. Mm-hmm. And when we got her uh ten days ago or whatever that was, she was Eleven pounds, and as of today, she's eighteen. So oh. that's happening. Oh, yeah, she's good gonna be luck. Big. <laughs> Get yeah. on a diet, bitch. It's not I'm going sweating. out. It's going up. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, she's she's really good. She falls down a lot, just like you want from a puppy. Oh, real entertaining. So clumsy. <laughs> mm. But man, yeah, that was uh, that was fun driving through that snowstorm from mm-hmm. Kansas City. Too awesome. I've never, you know, I've driven in a lot of snow being from Colorado. So like that part was, I was okay, but I've never driven for 14 hours straight in the same snowstorm. Usually the (laughs) weather changes when you go from Kansas city to Austin, but it was the same weather for 14 hours. It was creepy. It was like, yeah, the, that was just eerie. The only time I've, I mean, I've driven through different snowstorms at different times, but the main one was the first time I went to Marfa in like years ago, uh, <laughs> we were driving back and there was this huge ice storm. Uh, I was in college in San Marcos. There was this huge ice storm and it was like, it, I, we basically, it followed us. So we were at the very <laughs> beginning of it. So we were in it, but it was like following us the whole way. there, And I was, Ugh. and then we were trapped in our homes for days. Was that 2011? Uh, Thank you. No, it was 2007. Okay. (laughs) Just curious. Um, No, I wish I was just a few years younger than I am, but. You're not. I'm old. No. You're the same age. I'm elderly. You're younger. I'm like. The old people are talking, Whitney. (laughs) I'm like six months younger than you. But if you're old, I'm dead. No. Yeah. No. I'm five years dead. I've been in the grave. Wow. <laughs> Wait and insult five me, years dead. <laughs> I'm like that 105-year-old who got COVID and recovered because she eats gin-soaked raisins. Yeah. Did you guys see that? Yes. That bitch is a hero. Yeah. She's a real that one. That is some bathtub gin raisin ass. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that well, is a remedy from the 1920s, still kicking. Hell yeah, hundred years yeah. later, literally. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm just. Ugh, I'm in a. Real, I had to take a mental health day from work, and I've never 
I, I don't do that. I haven't done that in years. I mean, good uh, for you. Fuck them. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's all I got. I am so done. Same. Just Let's in general. Go in the woods. <laughs> go out to the woods. Fuck it. <laughs> I've been oh. looking at Airbnbs for me to escape to for a, mm-hmm. a week or so. <laughs> or yeah. I don't know, a month. Who cares? Our- um, and just like in the woods by myself. Let me risk it. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck it. John and my uh, our one year wedding anniversary is this Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's like, the last thing I did outside. It's mm-hmm. it's the last thing a lot of people did outside. We squeaked in before the world <laughs> I don't ended. Know why that's such a weird. It phrase. is. It is a weird phrase. But like we've both been trying to think of things to kind of do and you know obviously covid is a problem and then with last week and all of that we've been talking about it and I was like I just I I don't want to say I don't care but <laughs> like I'm I feel so exhausted with yeah. trying to like make so many things work and one of them just be like living and surviving <laughs> that uh I I'm just kind of happy to be you know I just want to not worry. Mm-hmm. That's what I want our anniversary present to be. Mm-hmm. Just not worry for like a day. Well, if you are looking for Airbnbs to get to, that I think would appeal to both of you for maybe different reasons. The one that we stayed at in Joplin, Missouri, which is right where Oklahoma and Arkansas and Missouri, like Mm -hmm. French kiss each other. So a real special Mm -hmm. part of the country. Um, We stayed in this mansion that cost about the amount of a day's in because it's Joplin and who cares, Right. And it was full on five bedrooms, 1909 house, really nicely restored with all this vintage furniture with like cool stuff. But it had a uh, servant's staircase that has not been updated Mm -hmm. that my kids stumbled upon. And when you open it up, it's got layers of of wallpaper going all the way back to 1909 with all sorts of creepy newsprints and stuff like that. And as you walk down the stairs, the noises travel up into the attic and through the pipes and everything. And I'm convinced it's haunted. Oh, well, so, yeah. It can't. Cheap haunted be. house to stay in for sure. But also the history of the house includes a murder. So a murder haunted house. <gasps> I figure either one of you would have a good time there. It's a 14 hour drive. It, no, because that's in Joplin. So that's only... That's only eight, like, eight to ten. Hours. Yeah, I was gonna say ten. Yeah, I could do that. That's where we stayed before we went to get the puppy and come back. We stayed there both nights as a, as like our waypoint. It, it, it's really beautiful, and if it weren't completely snowing and freezing cold because it doesn't have modern appliances, okay. we would have loved every minute of it. But it had a clawfoot bathtub that you can't plug, so. You just watch the water go down. No, that's <laughs> weird. You can't that's even really just weird. put a fuck like they don't have a. 
I just have like a little flappy thing, like a rubber flap. Yeah, they didn't have that either. I guess the ghost was supposed to. Ooh, that's definitely a fucking tub you'd be bathing in, and then you do the thing in your shampooing your hair and then a, another hand comes out of the back of your head and then oh, you're sure. getting drowned in the Or what's the fucking movie? Like Harrison Ford. Well, lies beneath a- and she's got her toe, toe and mm-hmm. she's trying to fucking... Mm-hmm. Oh, I think about that every time I'm in a deep bathtub. It's I, totally that. And there was an arson in the... Well, they, they don't know it's an arson, but I went ahead and said it's an arson because it was a mysterious fire definitely. in the 1970s. And one of the features of that fire is that very tub fell through the uh, ceiling and down to the floor. Wow. Um, so it's been involved in some you know, criminal oh activities. So it's haunted. It's definitely a haunted bathtub. Yes. Ooh, I'm afraid of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's called the Josephine. Aw. And that's sweet. She like, also, is she friend. the one that is she the one that found the creepy closet? Mm-hmm. It was calling. They her. wanted to spend all their time in the attic, and the only thing in the attic was an old Christmas tree with the ornaments still on it. Mm-mm. Like Ooh. someone just lifted the Christmas tree up and put it up there with the ornaments still on it, and two <sighs> ornaments had fallen and it rolled in the floor, and the rest of the attic, huge attic, was just perfectly empty. And I was like, "Well, this is during the daytime. I bet mm-hmm. you this attic isn't empty at night." You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Fuck like, no. So There's... they wanted to play hide and seek and go up in the attic. Oh and I was my like, god! No, no, no! You can't do that. That's I'm gonna have to go in and find shit. you if you don't come back, and I don't want to. In this house, I'm not going to know whose screams they are. So how am I supposed to know whether or not to go up there? I hate all of this of, so much. Full of <laughs> mannequins and rocking chairs and like mm-hmm. a fucking dollhouse. Mm. Mm-hmm. A lamp a without a shade. A clown ventriloquist dummy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's like a double whammy. <laughs> yeah. It's a dummy and it's also a clown. <laughs> yeah. it's got, that's layers of no thank you. Mm. Uh, have y'all been watching WandaVision? Hell yes. yes it's so I good. haven't seen the latest episode though because I have to wait for my kids because we're watching it together. <laughs> Please, like, that's all I want to talk about. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I Please love WandaVision. It's Please very good. We can text about it if you want later. Okay. But well, I don't this won't spoil anything other than me being a psycho that everyone probably expects anyway, but I spent I've probably in the last 3 2 or 3 weeks I have spent no less than 50 hours of my life looking up theories and spoilers and like mm. leaks and whatever and it's just uh, i'm almost like can we just fucking go, can we i just need this to be let's put the pin in it it's only so one I more episode right? yeah there's one or two this one nine episodes it's nine episodes but then one of the uh, things i read was that there might be a 10 <laughs> so okay they should do it and then they do the the show for boys Yes, then the boy yeah. show. Wait, what's the boy And then Loki. Oh, uh, Falcon Loki. and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Here's yeah. the thing, two though. that I don't give a fuck about. Right. I know, right? They're the, they're the, yeah. But I also, honestly, I didn't really give a fuck about uh, Vision all that much until this <gasps> show. And now I'm like, oh, shit. 
Like I'm way more. I've always loved Paul Bettany though, so it was always. I, I was gonna say I fucking have loved him since, since he was Night's Tale. Yes, since yeah. he was yeah. the fucking guy on a Night's Tale. Yeah. Uh, yes. Ulrich von Lichtenstein. I watched that last, not last weekend, but two weekends <laughs> ago when we had power. Ah, good times. I just like when the first few people that were watching WandaVision, they were like, he's actually funny. And I'm like, yeah, he was very fucking funny when I was 15 or 14 or however old. He was very (laughs) funny. He was the comedic part of that whole fucking, what are you doing? Funnier than Heath Ledger. I don't know if he's funnier than Alan Tudyk, who I also love so much. He's not. I will give Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk can hit those goofy moments. He's Paul that Bettany's movie timing, I think, is better. That movie mm-hmm. is just I'm gonna go solid. I'm all Bettany. Tidic always uh, something about him I don't trust. Is exactly. it his face looks like he's not necessarily done a band, but like has definitely mm-hmm. tiptoed around a band? Is mm-hmm. it that I always thought he was from Europe, but he's fucking from Texas? Mm. He's like mm. from El Paso or something. What? I swear to God, he is from Texas. Well, now I'm all kinds of fucked up. (laughs) Not Paul Bettany, Alan Tudyk. But also that last name. It sounds like... Mm. Also, Paul Bettany and um, uh, you remind me of the babe being together. It's so like... They've been together Connolly. Yeah. Oh, they, I was like, okay. David I didn't know Bowie? They, <laughs> he was with David Bowie. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, but that'd be some two skinny, gangly guys going at it. it. I'd watch that. Uh, I, mean, I would watch it. I'm almost, I'd subscribe. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I almost need to just leave this podcast right now. <laughs> um, but I, in which I also uh, watched Snowpiercer, the series. Mm. Oh, I watched the first couple episodes of it because it has the guy from Hamilton and I really like him. And Jennifer Connelly. You're right. Jennifer Connelly. That's right. My first crush. Ugh, she's so beautiful. She really is. She's the best. I've been chasing that outfit that she wore in um, Career Opportunities. Like, I just want to see that outfit again in the wild. I I don't don't know. I've never seen that movie. But I but, bet um, it's, it's a very specific. You have to be older, like me. Um, it hit one summer, and if you were twelve during five that summer, five and you were even five percent attracted to women, you know what outfit I'm talking about. What it's is basically it career opportunities? It's a dumb movie. It, it doesn't matter. But she's wearing like the perfect rise jeans with essentially an American Apparel bodysuit, but an early '90s version of that. Did you say Harise like Harambe? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I see this. Yeah, I feel like I can imagine the picture. Yeah, she's like riding a, a, a one of those horses. So you put a penny in. Oh, I know exactly what mm-hmm. scene you're talking about. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that GIF. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. It's a good GIF. It's a good GIF. Yeah. Um. Oh man. Okay. Just looking at See y'all later. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna go fantasize about Jennifer Connolly and Paul. Well, then she played a lesbian in uh, uh, Higher Learning, and that was it. Then I was done. Slayed. That was it for life. Perfect. Please be my photography teacher. 
got kids with Paul Bettany. I just want to like, can yeah. I just stay with them just for a month just to see what happens? Let me just move in. Can yeah. I sleep in your bed? I got a nightmare. <laughs> I had a nightmare. <laughs> it's for um. my paper. <laughs> well, welcome to Weird Brunch. <laughs> yes. I'm Lisa Friedrich. I'm Karina Magyar. I'm Whitney Lamond. Okay. And we're all here. Yay. We're all here. We're all a little weird. And we're all mm. pining for better looking people than us. That's not our fault. Well, we're pretty hot. We are hot. I mean, I mean, compared to Jennifer Connolly? Well, in the aggregate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not. If you put us all together, it's like almost a Jennifer Connolly. Yeah. Dang. Mm-hmm. Y'all think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, let me, uh, let me download one of these Russian apps. Real yeah. Quick. Combine <laughs> all three of our faces and see what our child would look like. Yeah. That'd be great. Weird. They just gave me a picture of Jennifer Connolly. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no, I knew it. That's it. <laughs> all right. Well, do you want me to go? I'll go first if we wanted. Do I got to. I got to. I got a good one. I got a rollicking one. Ooh, I'm excited god. about this one. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, tell me. I'm not going to ask what's in the pineapple. All right. So, this is mm-hmm. uh, you know how every year Black History Month, uh, you you hear stories, biographies of of famous black people and you're like, "Wow, there's so many fascinating stories." Well, I found the best one. I swear to god, this Ooh. is this is it. This is, and I I know that's a bold claim, but this is the best the very biography best. of a Black American ever. So here it is. My Black History Month like uh, entry is about Eugene Bullard, who was also known as the Black Swallow. Mm. Uh, so that sounds he... like a nineteen seventies. No, okay, <laughs> black exploitation porn. Yes, or uh, a golden era comic book hero. Um, yeah, but he's, he's actually more. Well, he's not both. He's definitely not a black exploitation hero, but a little bit maybe. Anyway, he was born in Georgia on October ninth, eighteen ninety four. Libra, love it. Mm, yes, very Libra. And at the age of eight, he ran away uh, from home because uh, his father was from Haiti. Uh, His father was an emancipated slave from Haiti. um, And his mother was full, uh, full blooded Creek Indian. So uh, that was his ancestry. And uh, he ran away from home because he looked around and said, I cannot uh, fulfill my destiny here. So he joined. Yes. Yes. Eight years old. I know. At eight. Jesus. He he joined a group of British Romani, otherwise known as gypsies. Mm -hmm. Uh, who were wandering through town. And from them, he learned uh, the art of horsemanship. And he worked as a jockey on the horse racing circuit. And he also learned how to box. Wait, how? Uh, he was small? He was eight. No. Yes. Oh, he was an eight-year-old jockey. Yes. Oh. So from eight to 12, he's running around doing child labor with the gypsies in southeastern United States. And this is in, of course, the early 1900s. Um, so he kept kind of traveling around and made his way up to Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and he liked the culture of his British gypsy kind of family so much that 
he snuck himself onto a steamship bound for Scotland and pulled a reverse Titanic and uh, sailed off to Scotland. And that was the last he would see. And he built a boat on the way? For 30 years. (laughs) That would be reverse Titanic. Yeah, he resurrected, he pulled one up. I was going to say, no, he didn't sink. So that Mm -hmm. is the reverse Titanic. Yes, he made it. Uh, In Glasgow, uh, Glasgow, he worked as a lookout for gambling operators. So like, you know, people would be running the numbers or dice games or whatever. And he was their little like child lookout, probably wearing a little hat, just like an Oliver. uh, Until he had saved enough money to go down to England. And in Liverpool... He did hard labor in the coal mines until his muscles developed, and he was 16 when he turned to boxing for his living. He became a part of this entire expat community of American black boxers, some of the finest boxers of all time, apparently, who uh, all went to Europe because in the United States, they were black, and in Europe, they were not. Um, So he was fighting regularly as a welterweight. Uh, He got a a pretty impressive record. He even uh, fought on the undercard of a couple heavyweight title bouts. And he earned a decent amount of money uh, and toured around Europe a little bit. And that eventually took him to Paris, where he won the fight that he had there and then promptly grabbed his money and jumped off of tour because he's like, Paris is where it's at. So here he is. He is. I mean, this is like Moulin Rouge times, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1914. It's after Moulin Rouge times a little bit. But yes, that era. He's 20 years old. He's young. He's handsome. Uh, He is now in in Paris with his own apartment and a pocket full of money. And he's like, all right. The only problem is in 1914, World War I broke out. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I love France. I'm fighting for France. And so he joined the French Foreign Legion, which uh, is infamous, right? So he's in the third marching division alongside wealthy Ivy Leaguers, mariners, farmers, doctors, executives, refugees, cooks, people from all over the world joined the French Foreign Legion because that was the only way you could fight in World War I for, you know, the right side or whatever. So he made friends with Belgians and Italians and Russians, Greeks, some Americans, a couple even uh, Black Americans, Muslims, Catholics, Jews, Protestants. The whole, like, world was in the French Foreign Legion. He went straight to the front and uh, he was stuffed into the tr- trenches with all the body parts and all that stuff and, and all that. Uh, and at the end of that stint, uh, the third infantry deban- disbanded and he was like, well, I'm not done fighting yet. So he joined the 170th Cavalry and was sent straight to the Battle of Verdun, which was one of the worst battles in the history of the human race. Just a total slaughterhouse. He was there as a corporal. He led the machine gun crew and he was right front and center poking his head over the trenches to shoot at the Germans. He got a shrapnel wound to the face, but he just kept on fighting. And then finally he got hit in the leg by an almost fatal wound to his thigh that sent him back home and away from the front. So he got decorated with aquatic air, which is like highest military honor you can get in France. Aquatic air? Quad de guerre, cross of war. And, uh, you know, he's recovering and uh, they said, you know, your, your leg's injured. You can't really go back in the army. Um, and so we can't put you back in the infantry or the cavalry. And he's really bummed and he's having some drinks with some fellow French foreign legion folks, legionnaires at the, uh, at a Paris pub. And he proudly boasted that if he couldn't fight on the ground, then he would fly a plane 
And an American bet him $2,000 that there's no way he could get into aviation and become a pilot. Bullard took the bet, called in a few favors, and uh, got accepted into aviation school. And on May 5th, 1917, he returned to the pub with his pilot's license, collected on the $2,000 bet, ran out, and bought a monkey. He bought a, <laughs> he bought a tiny spider monkey named Jimmy. And then he got up in uh, a very special airplane. I don't know. It's, you know, SPAD 7C1. I don't know. I'm not an airplane person. And it's his very own airplane. And he painted it with his slogan on the side with a red heart and a dagger through it. And the slogan was, Tout le sang qui coule rouge, which means all blood runs red. So just a badass thing. Got up in the air in August of 1917 with his co-pilot. Yep, his spider monkey, Jimmy. So he's flying around in this like little biplane, Red Baron style with a monkey in the back seat. And he flew with honor. He had several friend, uh, kills or whatever. He took down several Red Baron type German people. Um, and then in 19, late 1917, the Americans entered the war. So at this point, all of the French Foreign Legion members who were United States citizens were released from the French Foreign Legion and given over to the Americans to fight. And the Americans said, oh, hey, Eugene Bullard, what do you do? He's like, I fly fighter pilots with my monkey. And they're like, oh, but you're black. And he's like, yeah. And they're like, okay, no thanks. And that <laughs> Wait, was hold on. Of course. Yeah. So yeah. if you were working, if you were with the French Foreign Legion and you're American, mm -hmm. they were like, get out of here, even if you signed up. Okay. That's, yeah. I don't like that. That feels weird. Why does that feel weird? Because they're American citizens, and at that point, they don't, you know, American citizens can volunteer for another army until your army gets involved, and then you're like, oh, I have to go fight for my army legally. Otherwise, I'm a deserter. That's hmm. stupid. It is stupid. Anyway, World War I ended soon after that anyway. So he's in Paris, and it's the 1920s. The jazz age is hitting. Uh, he gets back in shape and is doing some boxing. He's a sparring partner, but with his leg injuries, he's not quite as a good uh, boxer as he used to be. So he learns to play the drums, and he becomes a jazz musician. Hmm. So now he's a jazz this musician. Renaissance. Yeah, I love this guy. Yeah, This dude's awesome, right? So he's going around with his monkey playing drums. Uh, he makes a business partnership with a biracial American blues singer who's birth name was Ada Beatrice Queen Victoria Louis Virginia Smith. There you go. More popularly known as Bricktop. Ooh. And Bricktop is one of the early pioneers of jazz. Uh, and they started a club called Le Grand Duke, which was at the time the hippest jazz club in the hippest city in the hippest place and time in the world. Uh, he married a French woman named Marcel and they had two daughters um, so he's got a kid he's got two kids he's got a beautiful french wife he's doing le grand duke and he opens up another club called les quadrilles which is connected to a boxing gym so what people would do is they party at le grand duke exercise at the part at the uh boxing gym take a steam bath out back in one of his other clubs get a massage and then start partying again at les quadrilles it was like a whole entertainment complex that he owned Here's who partied at Les Cadrilles in the 1920s. Les Langston Hughes was ah. a busboy and a dishwasher. What? No. <laughs> Arthur Wilson was the piano player. Arthur Wilson later was known as Sam in Casablanca. He was the template for that character. Play it again. 
Charlie Chaplin, Gloria Swanson, Fatty Arbuckle, The Prince of Wales, Fred and Adele Astaire, Pablo Picasso, Ernest Hemingway was there often enough that he wrote about it in The Sun Also Rises, Josephine Baker would sing, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda were frequent, and Eugene Bullard was a babysitter for their kid. Cole Porter uh, would come in and play with Bricktop, and Louis Armstrong uh, loved Eugene Bullard so much, the Black Sparrow, Black Swallow, that he would have him be his drummer. So that was the, how he spent the 1920s, basically running a club where the who's who of the entire world uh, came and hung out. He really experienced a full-on roaring 20s. He sure did. Was possibly yes. the cause of it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he was patient zero for the roaring 1920s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of. But it's not, uh, that's not it. As you know, 1933 happens. Hitler became chancellor of Germany. Uh, so in France, they started what was called the Duzem Bureau, which was sort of like their CIA. Um, and they recruited the Black Swallow to work with a beautiful spy from Alsatia, Cleopatra Kitty Terrier. Okay, so father's... again, this sounds like a black exploitation situation. I know. Also, how can you be a spy with that name? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Kitty? I don't know. Uh, Kitty, her father's murdered by Cleopatra. Germans. Uh, her father's murdered by Germans uh, instilled in her a lifelong hit- hatred of German expansionism. So Kitty and the Swallow all 100 percent real uh worked as a team at the club at Le grand duke he would serve tables and play stupid um because like germans would assume that you know he's black so he can't speak german but of course he was fucking fluent in german because why not he can do everything else and then she would do the whole like flirt her way into the more privileged information once she fought, figured out who had it um so that was working pretty well in you know France at the time, but the rationing, the blackouts and stuff, it made it really hard to keep his business open. So he tried, got himself a wagon. He'd go around to markets and look for discounted goods and throw them into a stew at the club. Uh, He'd feed everybody for free, plus a free glass of wine per person and a pack of cigarettes per table. Um, But it just kept getting worse and worse with all the Nazis running around, right? So he pulls his daughters out of the school, closes the club. Most people are fleeing because the Nazis are coming through Belgium. But he says, I'm sticking it out in Paris. Uh, so he works with Kitty and the Swallow, keep working with the resistance until 1940 when the Nazis march down the Champs-Élysées and take over Paris for good. Tens of thousands of people flee the city, but they're getting bombed. So what he does is he leaves his daughters in the care of Kitty and said, please keep them safe. I have to go. And he packs his gear and he goes straight to the front lines. <laughs> To join French Foreign Legion again because America still hadn't entered the war again. Dang. This guy. At this point, he's 50 years old. He's had multiple in- injuries, but whatever. He finds his old unit. He rejoins. He finds that his unit has been completely destroyed. So he's got nobody to fight with. Uh, and the Legion's like, we just can't do anything with you. So he goes, he goes back to Paris, but he can't get in because the Nazis have closed the gates and he's stuck outside. What? So we hear some rumors that the French 51st of the Foreign Legions holding out at Orleans, where Joan of Arc is from. So he goes on foot from Paris to Orleans, which and I forgot How to far? look this up. Please uh, tell me in miles uh, and not in kilometers. It's got to be like 100. 
It's 130 right. miles. Oh, 130 kilometers. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Right. Is that like 70 miles? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a long ways. I'll, I'm doing the walking directions on Google right now. It would be a 24 hour walk straight. Dang. All right. So when he gets there and he discovers that his lieutenant from World War One is in command of the 51st. And so he's like, sweet, uh, I'm here. And he's like, dude, the swallow's here. All right, you're in charge of the machine guns again. And there he was with the machine guns fighting the Germans all over again. Uh, but it was hopeless. A shell that killed 11 men threw him 40 feet and cracked one of his vertebrae. And that was it for his fighting days. He just couldn't do it anymore. He picked up a rifle and used it as a crutch and walked to a military hospital in Angoulême, which is another 20 miles away, just trying to stay out of sight. Hides out in this hospital. Uh, they're filling him up with painkillers and some bandages and a few cans of sardines. And they tell him, you know, go to Bordeaux and walk into Spain. Because Spain's, yeah, Spain is fascist, but they're officially neutral. So they're letting allied people in. Somehow he made it, got his first passport of his whole life, got thrown onto a Navy ship and p- taken back to the United States for the first time since 1904. Now oh, he's in Manhattan. No. And he's got to start from scratch in Manhattan. So he's a longshoreman. He sells French perfume. Uh, He goes to the State Department to try to get uh, in touch with Kitty. And she was true to her word, kept his daughter safe. She sends him to the States. They don't speak any English. So they all move in uh, in Spanish Harlem. Uh, He keeps being involved with the free French groups, trying to support de Gaulle, even though he can't join the army and fight directly. Um, and he's trying to support liberation movements all over the place. In fact, he got filmed getting beaten up by police as part of a human chain uh, to protect a black musician whose concert was disrupted by white supremacists. So he was even involved in that kind of shit. Uh, times are tight, but he makes it because his old friend Louis Armstrong comes and hires him as a tour manager and occasional drummer uh, to help him earn some bread. Uh, When the war ended, he tried to get his club and his gym back in Paris, but it was too complicated, and he just got paid out by the French government, and he got stuck, basically, in America, where he worked as an elevator operator at 10 Rockefeller Plaza. (sighs) So now, 1959, the French embassy in New York City calls him in, makes him a knight. He's a chevalier of France, so he's knighted in France. Uh, and he says at the ceremony, my services in, to France could never repay all that I owe to her, presumably for not being racist to him, like his home country. Right. <laughs> uh, he's still an elevator operator at 10 Rockefeller. He's wearing his knighthood medal on his work uniform when the host of the Today Show, David Garraway, notices it. And he had fought in World War II and he kind of knew what it meant. And he said, he asked him what it was. And Bullard tells him, well, I fought for the French Foreign Legion in, war- in the wars. He goes, what do you mean war is plural? And he said, World War One and World War Two, And he says, whoa. And he sits him down and talks about him, checks out all the facts, all the stuff that he's been through, and basically digs up and determines that he's the first black American fighter pilot in history. You know, because he wasn't yeah. technically American, so right. he could fly ahead of that. Uh, so he goes on the Today Show. Now he's famous. Uh, he's going around all these other appearances, Yay. speaking engagements. Uh, his heroism is finally recognized. He goes on a speaking tour. It takes him back to the South, where he mm. goes back to Georgia for the very first time in oh, 1960 no. to find out <laughs> no. that his mother had been lynched, his uncle had been lynched, and his brother had been lynched. 
all when they were trying to recover ancestral Creek land. So he turned back to New York city and he never went to the South again. In 1960, uh, Charles de Gaulle, the leader of free France came to visit Dwight Eisenhower. A million people greeted him in the streets when he got there to New York and people are singing. It was a big deal. Uh, He gave all these speeches and he invited a whole bunch of French people, 5,000 French people who lived in New York, including the Black Swallow. His presence had been specifically requested. At the end of de Gaulle's speech, he looked around in the crowd as if he was looking for a friend and he saw the Black Swallow and he called him up to the stage and he shook his hand and he said, all of our country is in your debt. And all these white Americans are like, what's going on, right? So uh, yeah, this uh, illiterate eight-year-old runaway Creek Haitian gypsy boy got, you know, the highest medals of honor from Karina, you're making uh, me cry. I'm the leader of France. Uh, one year later, he entered the hospital with stomach pains and he had cancer at the age of 66. He died in the hospital. Uh, so that's Eugene Bullard, the black swallow. I think the best black history story I've ever heard. That's amazing. Oh my God. There should. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there should totally be a movie. A mo- right? How like is that book, not a movies movie? like a graphic novel or something at least. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> he wrote a memoir that was never published uh, that was named after his plane. Um, All blood runs red. Um which was appointed both like kind of military slogan, but also anti-racism yes, slogan. Right, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Yep, this was the first story that I teared up on. Me too, Congratulations. Ever. ever. <laughs> My God. <laughs> oh, that was good. Jesus, why does America have to be so fucking racist? Ugh. Good job, Karina. Yeah, I'm just gonna go flush my fucking brain story out down the toilet, right? <laughs> I don't want to go next. I can. Okay, good. Luck. But it's uh, pretty much the opposite kind of person we're gonna be talking about. <laughs> uh, cool. So, Camarillo, California, 1962. A bandit is born. A roller coaster begins its ascent. Ooh. James Allen Hayes. As a kid, this dude's really good at violin. He is actually the youngest member of the county orchestra. <laughs> sure. Uh, and at 13, he goes to live with his grandmother. Um, his mother was mentally ill and abused him and he did not know his dad. So at 13, he's a violent kid. He's living with his grandmother. And a year later, I guess he discovered uh, that, you know, women because or girls because he quit violin and got into mm. cars. That one way ticket to pussy. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I want that image. Karina's just riding dirty. Slamming a berg in one hand. Yeah. And riding dirty with the Mm -hmm. other. I love it. So at 18, he's out, you know, surfing and beaching it up in a convertible Baja bug. Oh, sir. Um, His long time. hmm? Nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
his uh, longtime girlfriend, Candace Walker, at the time said he was cute. He had wild hair and freckles. He looked like a let's go have fun type of guy. He was funny, had a good sense of humor, and usually in a good mood. All of those things together, to me, scream serial killer. But, <laughs> Don't uh, trust. Yeah, I guess the early 90s or 80s were a different time. Um So Candace gets pregnant at 17 and Jim has made it very clear that he does not want to be a father. So Candace finds a family to adopt their baby boy and then they stay together for 15 more years, which is kind of unheard of. Um, So then 15 years later, Jim's like, Candace, get out of my home. I have met a younger woman. So it's 1997. Um, so he's out chilling with this younger babe doing the Lord's work, uh, guarding commercial <laughs> and residential buildings for dial security. Mm. He's also caring for and living with an older babe, his grandmother. Aww. And oh. by, yeah. And then he's buying a lot of tickets on his way home. So you have a pretty good picture of this guy's life, right? Um, My parents in 1997, same deal. Most everyone's parents. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Dad left mom for a younger woman. We're taking care of grandma. We got it. Cool. Yes. And then we're going to buy lottery tickets gonna... every day on the way home. Fuck every yes. day. Yes. Yes. That's um, the American dream right there. Hell yeah. So on January 7th, 1998, uh, our, our dude Jim goes to a USA. I, Jim. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I'm sorry to do this to It's you. okay. <laughs> um, he buys a quick pick lottery ticket at the USA gas station. Uh, the next morning, he's snoozing, right? Because he's, he's on dial security. He's on a different time zone than we are. Uh, and his grandmother's going through her morning routine, which uh, does include checking lottery numbers from the night before. You know, wake up, get your coffee, take a poop, and then look at those lotto numbers, Bless baby. Um, and she is like, holy shit. Um, out of one out of 18,009,460 odds, Jim wins. Go, Jim! Uh, yeah. Wow. So she goes and wakes his ass up. She's like, I don't care that you've only been asleep for four hours. Wake up. You just won $19 million, which is actually the take home of $13.7 million in 20 annual payments of $648,000. Oh, you ran the math. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that was a direct quote from his grandmother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She just lays it all out right as he's waking up, and he's like, But you know, the tax system, the way the tax system works with money like that. Um, so you know, I don't know that anyone, anyone is prepared to win the lottery unless you're some sicko rich person who's like, I'm gonna just keep playing the lottery. Um, and so aside from that, just the you know, immediate coming into this kind of money uh jim was also fairly uh, he was in an unstable place mentally he was dealing with some depression and uh the only real quote they had around it was pretty severe problems which i would kind of guess that's you know some ideation of uh self-death um yeah 
So <laughs> I don't know why I can't I didn't just say suicide. Uh, he does an interview with the LA Times the next day. I'm If I'm winning the lottery, I'm not talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking to anybody. I think no. this is 1997, though. Yes. Back then, I feel like people were weren't quite as apprehensive about being like, yes, I'm the person who won the lottery. Like, you know? Yeah. Because you can just Google it. Yeah. People Uh, still wanted to be in the paper. That was like a thing in the 90s. Ooh, I'm in the paper. (laughs) (laughs) The paper. The Metro and State. Uh. So he, I would still wait a couple of days though to get my mind wrapped around it before I'm putting stuff on print. Um, so he does an interview with LA Times the next day and he says, I know I'll change, but only for the better. Mainly, I want to, what I want to do is help out my family and friends in need. I'm not going to blow the money. And then Jim immediately begins burning through the cash. Uh, yeah. There you go. This is a quote from him. I race Lamborghinis with Mario Andretti. I own six different Lambos. I'm a car guy. Bentleys, Porsches, Corvettes, etc. I owned beachfront houses and had actress girlfriends. You name it, I've probably done it. Cool, Jim. You're a cool guy. Um, He launched a business. Okay, so he launched a business plan uh, in the late 90s to rent exotic sports cars to high-end rollers in vegas which still exists it doesn't still exist this went down and now the uh turo is like an app where you can fucking do this but this his his business didn't work but i'm like people do that all the time yeah you can go drive around fancy cars and shoot like fucking huge machine guns into the desert like that's what you do in Vegas if you're not gambling or whoring. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your three options. <laughs> you have three <laughs> options. Uh, and I love it there. I can't wait to go back. I know I want to go. Um, so Candace Walker recalls him spending like crazy, getting advances on the next year's payment. So he's going through 648 before the year's over and g- trying to get advances on the next one. Um. And then she said that the money had changed, Jim. And her quote is, he got a hotsy-totsy attitude. Mm. Candy. What a sweetie. Uh, So Jim Hayes, he's going to all these car shows. uh, And he's meeting celebrities like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Lauren Hutton. Um, And I just (laughs) keep thinking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the correct response. and I just keep thinking, like, what if he had stuck with the violin instead of cars? Right. <laughs> what Aww. kind of shows would he be going to? He'd um, still probably be meeting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but I don't know about Lauren Hutton. No, I don't either. Oh, I know She's... who she is. Yeah. Yeah. That's But, like, that's the response is, who is she? And then five minutes later, oh, I know her. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I got it. The kind of yeah, person she is. Yes. Teeth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the gap. I know uh, about those. So he, oh, this is just a fun fact. He bought a flashy 1932 Ford Roadster from the son of Mel Blanc, who we all know was the voice of Bugs Bunny. And like every other 
Looney Tunes character. But namely Bugs <laughs> Bunny. <laughs> I didn't know any of that. So now the more you know. The more you know. He also had a uh, personal photographer who was getting paid full time to just document his bouginess. I know somebody oh. who would fucking do that. Brad Garrett, I can't say that I wouldn't do that also. I don't know. It seems fun. Yeah, I think it, it depends fun. on what I'm doing. You know, this last year, probably sure. not. Probably yeah. don't need that. Yeah. Probably not my at-home stuff, but anytime I went out, maybe. Yeah. Like, get some hot pics of me doing shit. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, don't make... A I nice over-the-shoulder as I ride in the helicopter or whatever. Yeah. I don't want hot I would pics. Never I want someone to come over. I just want someone to shoot, like, candid pics of me wearing sweatpants walking out of a grocery store. Like, that kind of paparazzi pic level. Yeah. I just want oh, those. Yeah. That's how uh-huh. you know you're Like really a Britney Spears one. Yeah, and you're like taking a bite of a pickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to catch me in a sports bra, like Billie Eilish. Mm -hmm. Okay, we got derailed. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and I almost just took us down the Britney path because we should have talked about that at the beginning of this one. But uh, anyway, so his personal photographer is David Parker, and a lot of this comes from um, him. And he said because of his cars. He met these celebrities uh, like Mario Andretti, and he picked out one of his Lamborghinis to drive at the running of the Bulls. Like, it's just like this very, it's like a very, it's not super niche, I guess. Like, everyone kind of knows at least the name Mario Andretti. But to me, it's just like this very niche, like, man, there's at least a hundred people who have huge boners just thinking about Mario Andretti picking one of their Lambos. But sure, like if that's your thing, go for <laughs> it. Um, so his first wife, Stephanie, they divorced in the late nineties. Um, it's just it's just so very soon after he wins this money. It's just so very soon after, um, and she gets half of his annual payments. I was gonna say it's funny that it's his money when they were married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope Whatever. Stephanie had a good time card. with that money that she is half of hers. Um, she seems like she's doing okay. Uh, but so even though he loses half of his annual payments, it doesn't slow him down. Like he's had maybe a year or two of this new money, and mm. he's already it's already fucked his brain up to where he's like, I don't know how to do without these things. So, um. The oh the so okay the reason I said his first wife Stephanie is because there is a second Stephanie. Yeah. Um. So they will. He's got a tie on out. Be first Stephanie and second Stephanie. So <laughs> second Stephanie, she's like he has had this flashy lifestyle, and he um, bought her a bunch of gifts and bougie meals and vacations and oceanfront homes, a million dollars. In Oxnard, in Oxnard, Oxnard, California, and then three homes in Utah. Okay, uh, that's way too many homes. Yeah, in Utah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but like it, it's pretty there, but yeah, you don't need more than max. one. Yeah, one in the city and one in you know wherever they have Sundance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and one to be a tabernacle. Uh, mm-hmm. 
her kids are like driving his Ferrari, uh, and he's paint. Oh God, he uh, he painted this like <laughs> sexy pinup image of her on his motorcycle. What? Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. You're going to have to send that picture <laughs> uh, to me so I can post it when we post it. I know. It I need is. to find it. Um, and so second, Stephanie's like, we'd go to Vegas and gamble. He always felt he was either very lucky or very unlucky, which that's a mental uh, trigger. Mm. Um, and then mm. he would like throw down thousands at the roulette table. Like he's just doing everything big. So he's coming in. Uh, you know, dropping his dick on the table. And then he's like, oh, I didn't win. I'm having an unlucky night. It's not because I can't stop. Um, mm-hmm. So sec- second Stephanie uh, waited a little bit and then uh, until after they got married on Valentine's Day, like my mm-hmm. brother did, which is weird. Yeah. Um, in 2002, she suggested, and again, this is after they got married, that he take a financial class on wealth management because Aww. that's what she worked in, like finance. Good for her. Uh, and she she's kind of has a level head about it. She's like, he got caught up in the excitement and new money will do that. So it's like, okay. Right. It, she signed up for it kind of knowing what she was getting into. Yeah. Um, and then... We can, oh yeah, we can also add some additional psychology to this uh, because he, you know, didn't really have a childhood because his mother was mentally ill abusive. He did go and like live with his grandmother. So he missed out on a lot of things that, you know, oh, I can use money to fill those holes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then to avoid abandonment, He's like handing out money to his buddies left and right. You know, Larry's coming out of the wall and he's like, hey, dude, remember me? And he's like, hell yeah, I remember you. Please don't leave me again. Um, <laughs> and he, he also has like uh, a Stephanie, believe, second Stephanie believes he has a form of survivor's guilt where he's like, I have all this money and my friends don't. So, mm-hmm. and, and those are all real things. Like I've, when I had my first job out of college in 2008 and it was impossible to get work, I was like, I shouldn't be doing this. A uh, very different level and scale to <laughs> winning $19 million. Um, and then, so, but then as he's like going through and giving these people money, the, the backlash there, especially with um, the, uh, I guess we can, just lean towards bipolar for the simplicity of the conversation. But like then the backlash there is I gave them money. Are they really my friends? Do they really like me? Or are they just hanging out with me because of right. my money? But if I don't give them money, then I feel like an asshole. So he's gotten himself in this spiral and the roller coaster starts uh, a decline in 2004. He suffered three herniated discs uh, in his back due to a former work related injury uh, at the security line. Uh, and when he had the surgery and then he, when that didn't help, he turned to his doctors were like, Oh, okay, well that's not helping. Try this Vicodin Norco Oxycontin and we'll, oh, just, yeah. see, we'll just see which one works. So Jim gets addicted. I don't know. Oh, no. How? Jim's will do that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and then, uh, he also did not have a steady job or health care. So he's paying for these designer pharmaceuticals out of pocket. Um, and so his annual lottery checks 
are totaling around 300 uh, annual after income tax and alimony payments. So he's getting 300,000 debts from, you know, his lifestyles, making bad business moves, begin piling up. And then by 2007, he files for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine making six figures, much less making anything above six figures and just going through it that quickly. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Almost impressive. Um, so the California lottery begins withholding a percentage of his annual lottery payment to offset the money that he owed the California lottery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he owes the money. Oh my God. Come on, Jimbo. How do you get in hawk to the lottery? I know. So here's my watch. Here's Mario Andretti, the human. Um, <laughs> So then in 2015, the IRS is like, y'all can't even touch this money. So now they're not getting anything in 2015. So he's broke. He's addicted to pills. He moves into this like low key 40 unit apartment complex called the Leewood Residential Hotel in Ventura. And he works as a manager in exchange for rent. I also know someone like that. Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) And then... uh, January 2017, the complex catches on fire. Jim, oh. mm-hmm. so Jim now we're getting up. into the into your classic lottery uh, curse. So the complex catches fire. He loses damn near everything, and he's evacuating all of the tenants because, again, his job is to be manager twenty four seven in this place. Um, uh, Hayes said that he so. After, you know, he loses everything. He's like, I, I need some kind of support here. But he says he got screwed by the building owner who uh, listed him as an independent contractor and oh, as no. a resident manager uh, with no unemployment biz- benefits, health care or tenants rights. So all of the other tenants were given two months to rent uh, or two months rent to relocate. So he got nothing. <laughs> So everybody mm-hmm. else is like, yeah, so it's like, here's my first and last done from my burnt down home. And he's just like, I have a fishbowl. He did save a goldfish. Um, <laughs> Way to go, Pee Wee. I know. Uh, the owner, however, says that Hayes never had health care through the gig. So not my fault. So Hayes applies for 38 jobs, gets nowhere, and he's got a bag back and a dated resume. So people are like, can you pick up 50 pounds? He's like, no. And then they're like, have you ever run a cash register? He's like, no. And then it's, well, what have you been doing for the last 19 years? <laughs> blowing money. Yeah, blowing it all. Yeah, I can spend your money. Yeah. So second Stephanie, God love her, is still around. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah. I know. At a certain point. I hope point, she has a job. Isn't she in finance? Mm-hmm. Um, unclear hmm. on how much of a job she has at this point. But, um, yeah, if 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 I'm ever mm, – don't let me stay with someone this long if it's this bad. Uh, <laughs> please, oh. as friends. Um, so he and second Stephanie move into, quote, a crazy friend's garage. Yeah, those and, are the ones who have empty garages. And they're aged 
Oh, uh, let's see. 60? They're, they got to be in their <laughs> 50s. They were 30. Yeah, 50s. 50s is 60s. Okay. Mid, I'm going to go mid 50s. Living in a garage. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then let's see. Uh, I already said that. Okay. So he can't pay for his Oxycontin, which ended up being his favorite. Uh, so withdrawal is hitting Jim and it's like the flu. So he's just like, can't fucking function. Like you, you, you can't get up. And he, <laughs> he eventually starts going out and looking for a remedy and found heroin. There it goes. Uh, oh, okay. It's very, it's cheaper than Oxy, um, but you still need some money. So now he's like, all right, I've got, I got to fucking, I got to come up with this idea. What am I going to do? How am I going to get my heroin money? Uh, all right. Uh, all right, Jimmy, let's go. Uh, so he cranks up some Judas priest uh, mm. and he's hanging out with his 10 pound main coon named dr pepper uh, jimmy yeah jimmy what? you're broke you're dope what? sick jimmy you hate the world you live in a garage jimmy dr pepper is hungry what? rob a bank bitch <gasps> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> uh <laughs> there's a whole thing about how he was listening to there's going to be a jailbreak specifically by Judas Priest. And it's like, oh I don't need that. Um, oh, no. So Hayes did not want to steal from a working man or an old lady's purse. And so he's like, what's the victimless crime? The bank. Uh, All right. So he's, <laughs> he's stunned by how easy the first robbery is. Uh, he's like, I've never been so scared in my entire life until I walked out of the bank with those hundred dollar bills. The poor teller was right out of central. Ca- he's so fucking cocky. Uh, was right out of central casting. She looked like a librarian. She was terrified. She just handed the money over. And he's watching TV that night, and the news is like the cops are l- looking for a three hundred and fifty pound Hispanic or white man, <laughs> and brag. Yeah. Hayes wasn't 350 pounds. So he's uh, like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, this is man. good. Yeah. He starts reading true crime thrillers, internet tips on how to pull off a low risk hike type. <laughs> uh, he'd strike Cause around. Cause that shit ain't tracked. I hope he was in an uh-huh. incognito. Is there, on- is there such thing as a low risk heist? Like, I don't know. Like, I guess if I went and like, took a a thing off of your porch it's pretty low risk you would consider that a heist if it's a goal <laughs> at least it's like all of mine i'm gonna take a pumpkin I, next fall i had to throw them away <laughs> but okay they lasted a long heist time those pumpkins <laughs> i'm gonna heist them i'm gonna heist them so hard uh i'll fucking so, kill you <laughs> and that's what makes it a high. And there you go. There's the risk. There's the risk. Uh, he would strike around 5 p.m. because that's a cop shift change. He disguised okay. his body, sprayed liquid bandages on his fingers to avoid prints. That's mm. very smart. Uh, uh-huh. And he never brought a gun. He had to be. He knew he had to be in and out in three minutes or less. Uh, and he's like, after I did the first one, it was so easy. I was like, wow, it got easier and easier every time. I was completely hooked. I was getting off on it. It was like a game. 
this is this is crazy. This is just textbook everything. Um, there's nothing weird about this story. He uh, his move was to hand a teller a note that read five thousand dollars, no signals, no die, no packs, no GPS, no sensors, no eye contact. Um, no eye contact. They were like, sure thing. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. We got it. <laughs> Um, I'm glad you requested no dye packs. I was wondering. Thank I just you. Have a skin, you know, I never know. I never know. Supposed to? Should I? It's Should like I my policy. I don't know. Let me ask my manager. Right. Um, oh. So, using the money for from the robberies, he bought a hmm. champagne-colored PT cruiser Ooh. in in 2017 when they were wow pretty not yeah. great. Not making PT cruisers, yeah. I don't think. I know. No. Did he start baking cookies? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Please do. Uh, and so then he begins spending a thousand a week on heroin. So he's got a car and he's got his fucking thousand dollars for heroin every week. Every week. That's so much for rent. Um <laughs> In June, he hits a Wells Fargo next uh, and a nearby Chase Bank. <laughs> Equal opportunity. Yeah, they both suck. Low so risk good. heist. Yeah, um, and they—he's in a landlocked suburban town of Newhall. Uh, this was his biggest payday, uh, or no, his biggest payday was July 25th, 2017, where he got $7,200 from a Logics Federal Credit Union in Valencia. I do feel like credit unions, they're a little bit higher risk to me. You think? I would think that less. That is not, not a victimless crime at that point. Right. True. Right. Yeah. And I think that, and I think because it's not like, oh, we've got you know, Chase and Wells Fargo, whatever, like they're every Bank of America, they're yeah, everywhere. Go for Bank of America. Yeah. <laughs> Get the rest. Um, God fees, damn man. it. So more robberies follow with the same routine, pass the note. Sometimes he would claim to have a gun. And then sometimes he or often he would apologize to the teller before leaving. <laughs> Aw. I would do Sorry, that. Goodbye. Yeah. I would do I'm sorry, that. I just love drugs. Um, it's not my fault. So FBI Special Agent Ingrid Satello is the lead investigator on this case. Um, and she's like, okay, these are increasing in frequency. Um, and they wanted to, you know, her concern was like, these could also escalate in violence. If, you know, if the frequency isn't getting him what he needs, then that's when violence mm-hmm. will come in. And so mm-hmm. she developed a theory that he's a serial crook living along highway 126 because that was all kind of connected to the banks but leads are going nowhere uh meanwhile uh jim is over here working to lead the fbi off track by scattering strangers dna at the banks he robbed so he would go to a friend's barber shop gather up hair and sprinkle Sprinkle some hair bitch yeah that's so cool I, I'm sorry. I really like that. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he go, he said it was like a game, but you don't want to make it personal with the FBI. Yeah, man. Good call. Oh, Good. It's, yeah. it's just Good like call. cops planting evidence. It's the same fucking yeah. shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
so then they st- they the FBI puts out a press release looking for quote the seasoned bandit because he had silvery gray hair and his apparent age. He was a salt um, and pepper fox. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, the description is he's in his fifties or sixties. He wears casual clothing, a hat, and sunglasses. Uh, through it all, Jim keeps this crime spree a secret from Second Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want her to become an accomplice. Aww. So the, he's good. The way this guy talks is very like, I'm fucking badass. You guys are all chumps. Oh, but yeah. the way he acts, it's like, okay, you're not a piece of shit. You're just addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. Um so in September, uh Jim hits the same Wells Fargo's Wells Fargo that he hit in June. Ooh. Right? <laughs> okay, whoops. Uh so like that's the dumbest, right? To you're not even gonna give it a full year before you return. Yeah. Um and then Satella was like, I knew he was gonna hit again because he was out of money. So agents have set up cameras on Highway 126. Uh and they captured his car and license plate, which he had not registered yet. Um, and as he fled the robbery on September 26, 2017, within a week, the feds are on to him. Uh, he's walk, Jim's walking out of his friend's home, friend's garage on October 2nd of 2017. And somebody, he hears somebody shout, don't move. Uh, well, looky here, 15 FBI agents dressed in bright green Ooh. bulletproof vests with their weapons, AR-15s and Glocks, are drawn. Oh. He's cuffed, oh. shirt is stripped off, they search him for firearms. He had 10 registered in his name, um, but he didn't have any on him. And then second, Stephanie is also cuffed. So she's oh. kind of like, what the fuck? Um the couple is split up. If you remember, Stephanie too was a banker and they're like, Mitch, you know why you're here. And she's like, honestly, I, I don't know. My husband's not a bank robber. You're high on crack. Uh, this is You're insane. the one on know. heroin. Yeah. No, you're on drugs. So the agent shows her a security cam footage of him robbing the bank. And she's like, no, that's not him. I can't. I, I don't believe you. Um, and then they showed him a picture of him in a baseball cap and she said, oh my God, that's him. Oh. <laughs> so him without the cap, she's like, no, no. No way. Once he puts the hat, oh yeah, that's his MAGA hat. That's yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's the hat. He won't take off when we fuck. Um, <laughs> and then she's not charged with, um, with a crime. Uh, and then in the other room where Jim's being interrogated, he asks for a cigarette. He confesses immediately. Um, and Satello actually was like, yeah, he was way more co- cooperative than Stephanie too was. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's sent to federal detention center in LA where he's detoxing from heroin, cold Turkey, uh, and then this is also something I just thought was interesting. Nine out of 10 bank robbers have a drug problem. Um, so 
before you start judging folks, think about their shit. Uh, once Hayes got clean, his personality changed. It was like Jekyll and Hyde. The H in Hyde is stands for heroin. <laughs> okay. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. In March 2018, he pleads guilty to four counts of robbery. Um, his lawyer, I guess, uh, said that he should get a lenient sentencing due to his clean criminal record, rough upbringing, and the fact that the crime was nonviolent. Um, it's at some point he's like, this is hardly John Dillinger. It's like, it's 2018. We're not making Dillinger references (laughs) in court, sir. Um, and then, oh, the lawyer also was like winning the lottery is also part to blame, which I think that that's always something that's brought up in news. Yeah. yeah. Um, I but feel everyone. That bothers what? me. I don't like that defense. No, it's not a, it's not a good one. Um, but let's see. He was sentenced to ultimately sentenced to 33 months in prison along with three years of supervised release and $39,000 in restitution. Um, yeah, that doesn't seem bad to me at all. I know. So this is uh, a quote from Jim Hayes. Prison is the most horrible thing ever, but I'm thankful it happened. It saved my life. I should have overdosed a hundred times and now I'm eight months sober. Uh, He said he's been exercising, making art, getting in touch with his spiritual side behind bars. Uh, The robberies now seem like an insane dream. Uh, He, he said, did I, I did shit. I can't believe would I have killed somebody? No, but I really thought I was going to, I wasn't going to hurt anybody. Um, That's how messed up I was from this drug. And then He's like, I've had epiphany since then. I've been thinking, what if my wife had been a teller? Like the oh, wife you were married to right. that was a banker. <clears throat> uh, she'd be traumatized. Uh, second, Stephanie moved into one of the Utah homes where she has relatives. She plans to go back to school and study sociology or psychology. Um, and she thinks that lotteries should better prepare folks who hit the jackpot. They should have a mandatory class on what to do when you win, because money doesn't equal happiness. It can really screw up your life. Hayes release date was February 23rd, 2020. And I cannot find anything other than his private Instagram account, but there is a memoir that is either being written or was released. Um, he calls himself a, uh, this is on his Instagram. He calls himself a car and Harley enthusiast and mentions a memoir with the working title lottery to robbery. I, I agree that the people should be better prepared, but I think that's just a problem with American education in general. (laughs) Like we should just be taking classes, be taught as teenagers how and what to do with money um, entirely. I did did take that class. And what's funny, yeah, well, what's funny is like when I was like, oh, I can't do this pre-AP calculus. Get me the fuck out of here. I stop it, algebra or whatever. Um, They put me in like 
something called math models. And it was like, here's how taxes work. Here's how the stock market works. Here's how much you should pay on rent if you're making this amount of salary. And I was like, this has been the most helpful yeah. I've ever taken. Oh, Please. Yeah. Like, it's insane to me that taxes are mandatory for every single citizen, but tax education isn't mandatory in our mandatory public schools. Yeah, this was like the tax. remedial math class. I was like, this should be a whatever. So fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. I dropped out of pre-cal also. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, actually. I hated that class and I hate math still. Um, Same. I wish I was better at it. I'm sorry I'm not. But anyways. All right. This is going to be a long fucking episode. So <laughs> I'm going to try and get through mine fast. Everybody did so good this week. We're all so researched and prepared. I had to go plug in my computer because fucking running out. You doubted us. No, no, not at all. This won't take 30%. No. <laughs> It was at like 60, but this has been almost an hour and a half. Okay. So mine is more aligned, I think, with Karina's since it does involve French people and the 1700s. All right. So, but we're in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Okay. New Orleans. Lisa, are you okay? Sorry. Okay. I just noticed my bad, my computer's not charging. Mm. See, there we go. Uh, New Orleans, founded 1718 by French colonizers, and the French had been there in the 1600s. Like, they are into it. So, New Orleans, it's becoming a rowdy place. By the 1720s, it's clear that this rowdiness needs to get taken care of a little bit. And the French government is like, cool, we're going to send these nuns that we know. Um, They're the best ones we have. The sisters of the Ursuline, right? Would you call them the top nuns? Top nuns. I don't know what that means. Is that a thing? Top gun. Oh, top. Yes. (laughs) I get it. They're top nuns. Yes. Mm -hmm. So in 1726, 16 nuns from the Ursuline convent in Rouen, Normandy, uh, are sent to New Orleans to to found a covenant that, you know, has a hospital in it. Uh, There's they're meant to, like, take care of kids, teach them, you know, do all the nun stuff that they do. Uh, The Ursuline sisters finally make it there by 1727, courtesy of the Company of the Indies. What? The puppy. I'm sorry. The puppy got on the camera. Oh, I already saw it. But I didn't interrupt you about it. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm not. Fuck you. (laughs) It is a very cute puppy, though. Uh, I'm sorry. She's just being a pistol. So no, it's okay. Her. She's so cute. Uh, yeah. So, the Ursuline Damn. nuns. Look at that baby. The Ursuline nuns are also known as the Order of St. Ursula. 
Oh. Uh, they're an enclosed religious order, which means they were cloistered, which is another way to say, like, we don't do anything other than serve God and we ignore the outer world entirely, basically. St. Ursula was a cool chick from medieval or from a long, long time ago, like literally 384 AD. She had a bunch of virgins who followed her around and they did good stuff. And then ultimately all got executed and beheaded by the Huns in 383 AD. So coming back to our present day, which is the 1700s, the first Ursuline covenant or convent is built in 1734. The nuns move in. Uh, the building, though, itself isn't so great. So they construct a second one. And that second one, which is finished in the 1750s, is today, as in present day 2021, the oldest building in New Orleans. Uh, so this convent has a lot of shit going on in it. Like I said, it was used as, um, a hospital and an orphanage. The first floor is the dormitory with classrooms, like a dining area, an infirmary, the orphanage. Second floor is living quarters for the nuns, a library, and storerooms. And then the third story, it's not really a story, people call it that though, is a very large, creepy attic. So... Mm -hmm. In 1727, that same-ish year that the government decided to send the nuns there, the local government in New Orleans went to France and was like, yo, we have a bunch of horny, gross, like, wild men colonizers that y'all sent over here because who else are you going to send to colonize this new country other than, you know, like ex-cons and prisoners and shit like that. Right. We need some bitches here to, I don't know, basically Fuck. become victims, yes, of these horny colonizers. Mm -hmm. And the king of France is like, hey, yeah, I get it. Like, we have this policy, uh... It's called the King's Daughters, and we are going to send some of those girls over to you in New Orleans in 1727. No. no. Oh, yeah. Not actual King's oh. Daughters. They're Oh, I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, yes. Of all people, I think you would know. So. I think I can see where this is going. The King's Daughters, uh, that was a nice way to put it. Um, what they tended to do for that was they would rake the streets of Paris for undesirable women. Uh, they would empty the houses of correction. They sent women who had been convicted of things, women who were the wives of debtors, uh, any type of female felon, a lot of prostitutes, anybody who 
you know, just rubbed them the wrong way. They were like, hey, guess what? We're sending you off. Uh, So they did that for a lot of different colonies, French colonies, including New Orleans. Um, But so the story goes, the round of women who were sent to New Orleans in 1727 were actually cassette girls c-a-s-s-e-t-t-e so these women were supposed to be a lot better than the normal kind of ruffians you would get they were specifically like orphaned girls or or probably girls but uh women who had been like raised in the catholic orphanages and had maintained their virtue. So the guys that are colonizing New Orleans are about to get a boat full of hot, probably way too young virgin women. And they're all excited for these cassette girls to arrive. And they finally do in 1728. And the women get off the boat and the guys are like you're not even that fucking hot like you look disgusting you're the palest woman i've ever seen all the guys are like i don't even i don't even know about these girls and it's like well i mean if we're thinking clearly they just went on a how many day long voyage across the ocean like I know what I look like when I get off a three-hour flight on an airplane. I can't imagine what I would look like if I had to be on like a f- what? How long? How long is that normally? Like in kilometers, twenty days yeah. of <laughs> ship travel if you even make it. Anyways, the Frenchmen are like the skin is so pale that it reddens when they immediately, basically, when they get exposed to the sun in super hot New Orleans. And people are like, well, that's fucking weird. And the bags they were carrying, which is what they got their names from, the Fia La Cassette. They were, so a cassette is like a chest and theirs all happened to be coffin shaped, casket shaped, cassette, casket. And these Hold women, up. hmm, hmm, yeah. hmm. Uh, these women, you know, this is how they come off the boat. And they're like, well, actually, uh, we're here to, like, stay with the Ursuline nuns. And the nuns are like, all right, like, we got you. Like, come on down to our convent. It's new. We're new. Let's, we'll take care of you until you go and marry one of these disgusting colonists that nobody wants to fuck or see or talk to. And these girls are like, great. This is awesome. I'm really fucking glad I came over. Uh, so the local men being the pieces of shit that they were in the beginning continue to be, they're super disrespectful to all of the women. Uh, A lot of them get raped. A lot of them get married into shitty households. You know, I mean, I'm sure there were one or two who kind of made it out. Okay. Other women try to hop a boat back to France because they're like, I fucking hate this. 
a bunch right. of them end up just not having any other avenue to turn to other than doing sex work in New Orleans. Um, but by the run of these, when it all kind of, everybody finally is out of the convent, the non-nuns, sure, uh, these nuns are left with all of these cassette luggage bags that look like little coffins. And they're like, I eh, will just throw them up in this fucking attic that we have. But then shit starts to get kind of weird. Reports like sucking weird that infant mortality rates are on the rise. Oh shit. And a bitch has got to eat, okay? You know, bitch has got to eat. The public is like, you know what? Those girls were so fucking pale when they got here. They blistered in the sun when they walked off the boat. Like, mm. we they don't want to fuck. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've only seen half of them come out at night. And now nobody knows where they are. What the fuck is going on? And the nuns are like, okay, let's go back into the convent. We're going to go upstairs. We're going to check out the attic or attic full of cassettes bags, mm. chests, whatever you want to call them. And they open up all of the cassettes and inside there is nothing. And they can't find any clothing, any form of belonging to any of these women whose bags they had. And the nuns are like, this is fucking weird, but we like, we should do something about this. Right. And the other nuns are like, I mean, yeah, I guess like, let's call the Pope on the telephone that doesn't exist. And so the Pope and, um, the Pope, Pope. the Pope, Pope, uh, and all of the, I don't know, whatever you want to call them that run that shit are like, cool. We got you. They send some, fancy guys over and they're like here's this lock the pope blessed it we have 800 nails per window for this attic so that we can that are blessed so we can nail all of the windows shut and that nothing can ever go in or come out of this creepy fucking attic okay and the people on the outside are like well, that's fucking weird. You know what that sounds like? Vampires. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Is this how vampires came to New Orleans? Possibly. Uh, but, Definitely. you know, it's the 1700s. Life goes on. In 1788, the Good Friday fires destroy the city of New Orleans, but the Ursuline convent is spared for some fucking fancy reason. The nuns say it's because Senor Felicity or Felicite, I don't know, uh, places a sweetheart statue in one of the windows, which a sweetheart statue is just a little... A little mini one of the Blessed Mother. Precious moments. A little precious moments uh, in the window. 
1815, the convent survives the Battle of New Orleans as well. Uh, it obviously goes through a bunch of shit in the 1700s and 1800s. And by 1899... Uh, or 1824, sorry, the nuns are like, we're going somewhere else. We're going to the ninth ward, which I'm pretty sure is the worst ward or one of the bad ones in New Orleans currently still, right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that's the one that's by the bywater, which is been gentrified or in the process of being gentrified over the last like 10 years. Okay. Yeah, it's bad, like, the east side. Of oh, so, not that bad. Like, not bad at all. No, <laughs> well, never all. mind. Uh, but, I mean, back in the 1800s, who fucking knows? Eight, yeah. So, by after the nuns leave, they turn it over to the Bishop of New Orleans. He uses it as a residence. In 1899, the, it becomes the offices of the archdiocese and a rectory adjacent to St. Mary's Church, and that's what it's doing now. Uh, But in 1978, two paranormal investigators seeking answers to whether the Fille à la Cassette had, in fact, been vampires, decide to camp out in front of the old Ursuline Convent, which is on Charter Street, Uh, if you ever feel like going to look on. I have. You, you win. Uh, so these two paranormal investigators had been kicked off of the property earlier that day for loitering, uh, obviously, because they're being dicks about it, probably. And instead, they're like, that's fine. We'll just like stay. Well, we're just going to like hang out outside of the fence of this because we want to see what the fuck happens. So as the night goes on, Shit's winding down. Yes, it's New Orleans, but starting to get quiet. They may have fallen asleep or something else may have happened to them. But the next morning, their bodies were found exsanguinated outside of the convent. And nobody knows what happened because it was like the fucking 70s. Uh, Since then and ongoing, people report that they have seen the windows or the shutters in the attic that are outward facing that are supposed to be uh, hammered shut by 800 nails apiece. They say that they see them open. And people think that it's because the vampires of the Fiala cassette come out at night to feed on the people of New Orleans. Uh, yes. Um, in reality. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. But this is rude now. I'm sorry. Well, that's. Like a big urban legend. The Ursuline Convent is definitely still there. Is definitely a very old place. Had a bunch of shit happen to it. People have not been able to find legitimate records of 
any of the cassette women even landing in New Orleans. Granted, nobody really kept records back then. Uh, Not that well. All the dumb boys that were just hanging out there weren't great at it. Um, (laughs) However, lots of people in New Orleans claim that they're descendants of the cassette women because they are viewed still as these like pillars of virginity who came and like helped start the colony. Um, So there's that people still, like I said, to this day say that they see the windows open and uh, the Ursuline there's a, I don't know. I've read a fuck ton of accounts because everything is all different, but from what, most people say those are definitely functioning windows. They're meant to be open. They're like hurricane grade level shutters that were installed late, late, late in the 19, like present day. So the fact that they're opening is um, definitely not a supernatural event. Um, But yeah, you can go visit yeah. the convent on many, many ghost tours of New Orleans. Yes, you um, can. Karina's been there. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, no, that's what I. But got they didn't let you into the attic, right? I've heard. No, no, no. It's just an external, and oh, then we okay. heard some of the vampire stories. Yes, uh, I didn't. I didn't see it on mine, but I there's a bar on the other side of the <laughs> the square. Uh, of that block that I fucking love. What's on the other side? <laughs> uh, Coop's place, and then that Molly's at the market. Oh yeah, Molly's at the market. God, I miss New Orleans. Oh. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I believe that. I I like to think it. I think some women were definitely sent over here for sure. Oh, for sure. That part, yes. I totally believe. I believe that a lot of babies died. Yep. Because of all the, you know, malaria. Sure. And the I believe that uh, poor French women sunburned easily. Yes. Believe that. Especially after being yeah. on a boat for however long days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that creepy shit went on in the attic of a nunnery. <laughs> Vampire shit? I don't know, but something. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's true. Hmm. The Ursuline Order, of course, it's got to be that nuts. too. Yeah. All right. Well, we're all safe. Yes. Yes. No, no vampires here. Just kidding. No. I'm going to say that I'll jinx it or something. Mm, I'm not one. <clears throat> Wake up tomorrow, exsanguinated. 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 Also, I. I'm so exsanguinated. You just can't hide it. It's true. Well, maybe next week we'll talk more about Britney Spears. Have you watched also the Mia Farrow shit? Not yet. I'm pissed because it's, you know, every week, but I've watched it. Yes. I mean, I already, 
I mean, we all know Woody Allen is a scumbag, but the worst. Honestly, the the <sighs> grooming, the I don't know, the explanation of grooming that they went through in that first episode is like mm. that was heavy. And hearing mm. Mia Farrow talk about it, and it's like this woman has so clearly <laughs> had to go through so much therapy, and just I oh, can't. Yeah. And she's clearly also such a wonderful human being. Mm-hmm. Like she adopted eight million, six of her seven children. Mm-hmm. I think it might be seven of eight. I don't know, but she's just <sighs> fuck Woody Allen. True. My computer's about to die, and I need to figure that out. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye. Everybody, go fuck Woody Allen. No, no we don't. <laughs>